M and K Talk YA now presents Daughter of Smoke and Bone, Part 2 by Lonnie Taylor. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lonnie Taylor. So this week we finished the book. Yep. And we learned quite a lot, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah, especially because last week we knew basically nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) I think, I know we talked about how we have read this book before, but I think this second half of the first book, when you learn all about how Karu is really magical and you learn about her life as a chimera and how she met Akiva... That is one of my absolute favorite parts of this entire series. I agree. And I love, I kind of forgot how much you you find out in the first book. Like I kind of, I, I feel like I don't even remember all, everything that happens. I'm looking at books two and three and how long they are, how big they are. And I'm kind of like, I don't even remember enough of the details for two more books worth. I feel like most of what I remembered, I've already found out again. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, we learned so much about like, even just the history of the Chimera and how the Seraphim were treating them as slaves and they wanted to rule them. And then Brimstone led the uprising to um, rebel against the masters. And that's kind of what started the whole uh, civil war. Mm -hmm. But you get these just like really beautiful glimpses into each of the Seraphim and the Chimera's, like their legends and their beliefs. I agree. And Mm -hmm. I like, I love the, um, how they, they both have legends of how the Seraphim and the Chimera came to be. How, like, the sun was betrothed to the smaller moon, or the bigger moon, and then he went after her sister, the smaller moon, and she stabbed him, and, like, the blood of the sun fell to earth and became Seraphim, and then the moon's tears became the Chimera. Mm-hmm. And now, like, even just the visual of, like, explaining how, in their world, how there's two moons and one sun and how the sun is always chasing them across the sky. And, like, that was just such a great added detail that the author didn't have to create. And the fact that she did just made the book so much more beautiful. I agree. And I love that there were all these different myths, too. Because then we hear, you know, what the angels myth, that they tell, you know, their creation story, their version of how they came to be. And right. this idea that there's these, like, I forget what they're called, those dark creatures, basically, that... They give them? Yeah. Have taken over the world, or just are... over all over the world and then eventually there's these god stars is that what they were calling them um yeah they were like these um creatures of light yeah that made stars who were able and, to like brought lightness yeah defeat kind of this evil these evil monster creatures and eventually one of them is like the father of all the chimera too right yeah because he argues that um now that there's light you still need shadow to contrast the lightness mm-hmm. and so he gives them one shadow and from that he makes the chimera and now, according to the Seraphim, the Chimera fight on the side of the dark, and the Seraphim fight on the side of the light, and they've just been at war ever since. And then I also love how they decide to write their own myth, create their own I new know. version of the world. And not just how do we kind of start the world over from here, but really what's the... They're really world building the way an author would or something by starting with this legend or this idea of, you know, love being the missing element, and mm-hmm. it's just... 
it is. It's really beautiful. It is, and it's and it's nice that um you know one thing that when I was reading this I was a little bit skeptical because before you know that Karu really is magical and that she fell in love with Akiva like at the beginning I was kind of like why is Karu so obsessed with this angel like and I didn't get it and at first I was worried that because you know in so many YA novels the um, love interests sometimes have a habit of like just being attracted to each other for no reason and it's kind of it's kind of just really hollow mm-hmm. and you're kind of wondering like why are they so obsessed with each other they've you know they haven't they have no reason to and so I was worried that the book was going to go that way but then when you see that they fell in love so long ago and he's been looking for her ever since or well he really thought that she was dead and how deeply they impacted each other yeah right and even just like at the battle of bullfinch when magical's gleaning souls and she comes across this angel and she doesn't kill him and it's just like that moment where these two enemies um, meet each other for the first time and just her one act of not killing akiva is what set off the whole thing although okay so i still have and even reading it a second time i still have this one i don't understand how it took the whole wishbone thing for her to realize that like it wasn't just the doors from her world that were burned. It was like her whole, like, I forget that, that creature messenger guy died in her hands. I don't know why she thought that they were still on the other side safe somehow after knowing that they had been attacked by the angels and that they were enemies, even without knowing the whole background of who she really was and whatnot. Like, I kind of feel like it shouldn't, um, it shouldn't have been that shocking. <laughs> I don't know if that oh, makes you, sense. So, like knowing oh, so that, that, knowing that Akiva was an enemy to her family knowing that all the doors had been burned down, knowing that one of them had already died in her hands. I don't know why, how she hadn't already put it together that there was probably a bigger attack than she realized. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think think the biggest shock, well, we don't really see it, but I think that her finding out that Akiva was the one behind it is the bigger shock. I guess. he's the one who tells her, you know, I didn't know Brimstone saved you. I thought he betrayed you. I thought he was one of the Chimera who betrayed us. And so I think he was implying that he went back and killed them all. Or at least closed all the doors and attacked them. And I think maybe that was the bigger shock. But I feel like these are the only angels she's ever seen. She found him next to the door where the hand mark appeared. I just feel like she already, she already like felt like he was their enemy you know she was trying to reconcile that in her mind even before she knew the whole story and I don't know I'm kind of rambling I just felt like it was like after the wishbone came that she she found out who she really was she was still like oh I still love you if anything I love you more knowing that you know we fell in love once before and then she's mad at him and she I don't know I just felt like I don't know I don't know what I'm saying right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think it was just that Akiva's behind it because, I mean, we have that moment on the St. Charles Bridge where he essentially chooses her side instead of his siblings because we meet Hazel and Laraz. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was just such a huge moment, too, where he's basically turning his back on his family, not only his family, but um, the soldiers that he fought with his entire life and who he was raised with and ch- chose to be on the side of Karu. So maybe, you know, after he shows that extreme loyalty and then confesses that he killed her family, like maybe that kind of added to it too. And I guess being the one who ultimately revealed the secret. So even though she wasn't the one who told him, he found out when he was being tortured by Thiago that 
how they were resurrecting bodies and everything. So it was him who kind of, I guess, led that whole effort. It wasn't just that he participated in it, but he led it, I guess. Okay. He must have because, yeah, because she purposely, I mean, Magical didn't tell him that Brimstone uses these teeth to resurrect bodies. And so to win the war and kind of change the tide of of the war, he targeted Brimstone because he's the resurrectionist. Yeah. And feeling, to your point, like Brimstone had betrayed her not knowing what he had done to help save her protect her and save her right i also just love how it's almost like so both sides it seems like the seraphim and the chimera have ways of just constantly replenishing their army and it's so fascinating how like both of them are fairly effective but they're also just kind of so ugly mm-hmm. so we learn how like on the angel side um the emperor just breeds just constantly breeds bastards for this army mm-hmm. and the children are like taken from their mothers and they're just trained at a really early age to fight um and we learn that like joram is um akiva's father but also hazel and laraz's father too because they're all part of this bastard angel army Mm -hmm. but it was cool how you learn how that akiva's mother is um what was it stallion or whatever yeah stallion which is like a kind of like a renegade type of angel or like from a very different sect um but it's just such a sad story how they're all you know trained at such a young age to become weapons essentially but then on the other hand you have the chimera who have this resurrectionist who's constantly building bodies to um to you know hold the souls of all the fallen soldiers Mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting how both sides have their own way of just constantly replenishing their army and the idea of dying over and over again and how like traumatic that is although okay so what do you think about chiro is that how you say the sister oh, her sister yep oh that betrayal that almost like bothers me more than akiva's betrayal oh for sure because she did it like full knowingly knowing what was gonna happen like falling in love with an angel was the highest treason and the fact that she did it for such a stupid reason. Well, I'd still you like know? to think I'd still like to think that she didn't necessarily know. I mean, even um Kabri or Magical, I forget which version it was, was saying maybe she didn't know that she wouldn't even be evanescent or whatever it's called. Evanescence, yeah. She didn't know that would be the penalty. Yeah. So she might have thought I mean she thought that she would like die, definitely, I would think. But and maybe come back with less of a human. What do they call it? Human uh, aspect. Aspect. But that's cool too. How like even among the chimera, there's like a hierarchy. So there's like high human, which is very much revered, and then low beast. Mm-hmm. And Kira was low beast, and I felt so bad for for magical that one moment when um, Kira died the first time, and she spent so long like stringing the teeth perfectly, and in- including diamonds, and with a necklace to make a body that was like the exact replica of Kiro, so she wouldn't be disoriented when she woke up the first time. And then the first thing she says when she woke up is like, you couldn't even make me high human? Like, she was so ungrateful. Okay, although I also feel like, hey, you know you're going to war, you know that your sister, like, works and helps with this stuff. If you really feel that strongly, maybe you should, like, have a conversation before going to battle one day where you're like... That's true. If something goes terribly wrong, what I would love is if you could, you know, get me a human head. This is what I want. Like, I mean, because... I don't know. I just... I'd also feel like that would be a conversation just with how shallow she she seems to be in general. I'm kind of surprised that wasn't a conversation Yeah, before. it would have come up. Because it's even Thiago. I mean, we know, like, the White Wolf, his father... The warlord wasn't, he's not a wolf. He has a stag's head. So the Mm -hmm. first time that Thiago came back, 
Like, he purposely changed into high human aspect. And now, like, he has Brimstone, like, build his bodies in advance so he can, like, approve them. I'm sorry. Yeah, that that was (laughs) kind of crazy. so morbid. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I, like, would love to see more of Brimstone pre- like what we've seen so far, like when getting his backstory, that was so interesting too. like knowing that he was originally a slave and knowing mm-hmm. that he does have kind of this hope for a better world one day, but playing, playing this role of kind of perpetuating this cycle that he, he doesn't really seem to fully believe in, but also mm-hmm. like, I just, I think it'd be interesting to get more of his backstory beforehand. Like I wonder if he had a real family at some point yeah. or, because it's interesting how he's like very reluctant to teach magical about, um, you know, resurrecting because there's so much ugliness to it you know like and I love the idea that we find out that magic isn't for free there's a pain tithe that you have to pay so you have to create pain in order to make magic and and that that's what's connected with the teeth too that it's related to sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and even just like how the chimera were slaves and the angels were torturing them to generate pain to make magic and um yeah just like brimstone knowing that there's such an ugliness to the work he does and trying to like almost shield her from it at first isn't it also kind of crazy to think of too because they were talking about when they were slaves like the guards many of the guards that watched them didn't even learn their language and thought they were just like grunting and yeah acting like beasts but then you're kind of like well then how do we know that beasts aren't like you know animal, <laughs> like full animals in our world? I, I don't like it's just kind of a funny that like questions never really asked, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I always wish Banjo could talk to me so I could just text her during the day. <laughs> I also I loved the what so it's kind of like that last half of this or the last quarter of the book maybe where we're getting Madrigal's story and all of her memories coming back. But I loved all those connections to her human character, Kairu, too. Like, with the wishbone, when she, like, made the joke, like, oh, I should wish for blue hair. And you're like, yeah, you did wish for blue hair. <laughs> and it's just it's interesting to think about, you know, what is the soul and what is, like, so what was captured in the wishbone was her memories, but her soul mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, like, so just kind of, fig- like, thinking about which part is part of both of her beings and which part is magical and which part is Kairu and how they're the same and how they're kind of different like that's got to be such a weird experience to realize you've had two lives all at the same time oh my time. gosh i yeah can you imagine no <laughs> i can't i tried to i tried but i can't <laughs> i mean it's kind of like i don't know it's kind of like how it, it just seems exhausting like even the chimera they say like evanescence isn't necessarily a bad thing if you think they're just constantly dying in pain and just living these lives over and over and over again i mean even yeah. like thiago they said is like hundreds of years old because he's just constantly being resurrected like I mean I can't imagine and then you're just sent back to do the same thing again like can you imagine dying like a terrible way coming back to life wouldn't necessarily be bad but coming back to life to be sent to repeat the same thing no would be terrible no way no thank you yeah but I do I I really am kind of fascinated by um like just what a terrible person Thiago is because <laughs> like I hate how he has this fetish for purity like he's trying to pick yeah. a wife but he only another wants... wife a new wife another one a new yeah. wife but he only wants Chimera who have not been resurrected like he wants the their like original body like their pure body but he's been resurrected like hundreds of times <laughs> and not only resurrected hundreds of times but has continually changed like he seems to care about the human aspect the pure body like all this stuff that doesn't apply to him and 
don't know. Yeah, it's very, very frustrating. And doesn't really mean anything. Doesn't really reflect who someone is or any of that. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's the whole point. It's like Karu came back in this completely different body, completely human, but at the heart of her, she's still the same person. I'm also, that's why I'm kind of curious to, like, it... Are people jealous of her because she would have been, like, a queen? Because she would have been... Was it really because she had, like, a pure body also and would have been saved from ever giving that up? Like, was that what people were envious of? Or was it, like, marrying Thiago for marrying Thiago's sake? I think both. Because um, it seems like um, Cairo, her sister, was really envious about the the fact that she might get to die in the body she was born in. Like, Mm -hmm. that... Is very seems like it's very rare and very um, prized. But at the same time, like even when they're preparing her for the warlord's ball and she's trying on that dress, she admits to herself like she is a little bit excited, even though she's kind of apprehensive. But she's you know she's excited and kind of thrilled that she was that he picked her, mm-hmm. even though she doesn't really know if she wants to accept him. So no, there is yeah. that little bit like she feels a little bit special that you know he he did she did catch his eye. I mean. So I was just watching The Bachelor earlier tonight, but I feel like it's something kind of similar with like, you want to win the show sort of, even if you don't, yeah. or, you know, I mean, like there is sort of this like image thing that people do care about. And like, I'm guilty of it too, as a human, you know, like. Sure, we all are. Yeah. If someone gave me attention that was like, other people would be jealous, even if I didn't necessarily want that attention, I'd kind of be like, oh, but at least I like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No, for sure. But uh, I do. I just love that scene when they're all dancing like the the promenade living promenade like leading up to the ball where they're all dancing and they all have these masks on that would be my scene my favorite scene if i if we were to if they were to make this book into a movie for sure i agree that would be great i also i love how akiva keeps getting new masks yeah (laughs) like first he's a horse then he's I forget the second one. Then he's a human. <laughs> and just like And he like makes her that um shaw out of butterflies after Thiago tears her dress. There's just like so many beautiful images in that scene. I also I mean Akiva, <laughs> when he was, you know, plotting how to like get back to her and, you know, trying to figure out this magic stuff so he could hide his wings and trying to learn the language so he could blend in and like really just wanting to go back and say thank you for giving me life and mm-hmm. like what I've done with it is not killed any of your brethren. Yeah. Like even if he never met her again, I feel like he was so changed from that moment. But then unfortunately or well, he did meet her again. They had a great month or so. Just a month, yeah. And then he went way the other way after that. Mm-hmm. But. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, I can't blame him. Like, to find someone like that and think that you're going to change the world and then to see her murdered in front of you. Yeah. And to think that her own people did that to her. I mean, I, I well, can't blame him for wanting to just destroy all of the Camaro. No, I that. can't either. And I can only imagine what Thiago was saying to him while torturing him. You oh, know, hearing gosh. all this stuff, like how that would just totally paint. He doesn't seem like the best person to represent the whole mixed race <laughs> group. No, he's um, probably the worst. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <sighs> but then I also wonder, like, if he hadn't been interested in Madrigal to start with, like, how long they could have gotten away with it. Like, part of it just sucks that she even, like, was this beautiful and this pure body and, you know, all this stuff that had caught Thiago's eye and Mm -hmm. was his kind of focus at the same time this all was happening. Yeah, and it was kind of awful how she kind of thought, like, oh, gee, all I have to do is kill myself and then he won't be interested in me anymore. You know, like... 
like if she didn't have her original body anymore he wouldn't be interested but like how terrible that she was actually thinking about that like oh yeah and can you imagine marrying someone where that's the case oh my god like that's Mm. not the how to not have a successful marriage (laughs) that's how you know you should not be with someone (laughs) is if the only way to escape them is to kill yourself So I sent you a quiz. Oh yeah. So that we could both find our inner. It was a weird quiz. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I don't know where <laughs> it was you found such this. A weird quiz. <laughs> the questions. I was like, wait, what is it asking me? <laughs> so we're trying to find our inner chimera. Yep. And we took this quiz. I don't know who wrote it. It's absolutely bizarre, but I'm really curious to see what you got. Okay. So I was a human dog. It just says human dog. Yeah. You being a chimera are loyal, and although some psychotic scientists mutated you to a dog soul, you wouldn't be able to see him or anyone be hurt. You care for most all and stand up for those who need it. That's really nice, actually. I like how they just throw in this, a psychotic scientist mutated you. <laughs> like, okay. What a side story. Tell me more. Know. Uh, what about you? What were you? Wait, I'm still imagining you as a human dog. <laughs> is that like a werewolf or is that different? I think you would kind of look like Thiago, honestly. I know. It kind of, like, <laughs> it sounds like because they use dog instead of wolf, like, it's from, like, I'm imagining, like, if I was really Toby's, like, half mom or something. You like... could be a golden doodle from the waist down. <laughs> <laughs> a, a gold, or a human doodle. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to be a human doodle. A human noodle. <laughs> Oh, you might even get a tail out of it. How hard would that be? I I think wagging a tail would be really fun, like, as a way to show excitement instead of just, like, I don't know. (laughs) It'd be funny if there was, like, a way that humans showed that they were excited. You know how, like, dogs can't, they can't hide it because, like, their tail wags? I wish we had, like, the equivalent, like, I don't know, like, our ears would just wave (laughs) or, like, wiggle or something. Well, also, Toby, his tail does wag, but mostly his whole rear end wags. Like, he gets so excited (laughs) about everything. I'm like, it's the mailbox. Like, calm down. (laughs) We come every day. (laughs) Anyways, what were you? What what, what was your... Oh, okay. So my inner chimera is carnivore panda. Carnivore panda? I have no idea what that even is. What does that mean? Alright, so it says, As a chimera, your body was a peaceful panda until you were combined with a carnivore, and your body and soul are constantly fighting each other because your panda side cares for living things and doesn't want to hurt, yet your carnivore wants to kill everything in its path. So you're like a vampire panda, kind of, is what I'm imagining. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. But it's just so funny because, like, pandas are just, like, the gentlest, laziest. I was going to say, even more than, like, I don't think of pandas as, like, oh, we love all other beings and that's why we don't eat them. I think of them as really lazy, kind of. Oh, yeah, they can't be bothered to do anything. Yeah, like, they're not going to kill something you have to chase, so that's why they're... Oh, no. (laughs) Maybe they're, like... Like like Venus flytraps, how they just kind of lay and wait and wait for like something to fly close to them, and then they are a crazy carnivore. No, I'm imagining you as like a panda, like the panda version of like that lady who wears like two Fitbits and goes to yoga every day or something. Like just like really intense and like, oh. but then eats meat somehow. <laughs> Um, do you know that video of the two pandas sneezing? Like, the mom panda sneezes and the baby panda jumps? No, but it sounds adorable. It's this YouTube video that's so cute, and it's this, like, mama panda, and she and her baby sneezes, and the mom just, like, jumps a mile. <laughs> um, for Halloween this year, Michael and Conrad both bought panda costumes to wear, like, big panda onesies, and we made them reenact that scene. <laughs> 
<laughs> where like Conrad was the baby panda and he sneezed and then Michael just like jumped a mile. <laughs> That's it was hilarious. like one of the best things we've done. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. That's awesome. But they weren't carnivore pandas. They were typical happy pandas. Well, they're both yeah. No. <laughs> they were not vampire pandas. <laughs> what do you think if you could make your own teeth chain to create your body when you come back to life after battle? What would you? What animals mm. parts would you choose? Oh, that's a good question because I love how we find out magical is like part antelope and part bats and part human, mm-hmm. and so they have to use bat teeth, antelope teeth, and human teeth, and like in a particular order. So she like she gets the bat wings and the antelope legs. Um, so you're saying basically like what animal would you want to be well like but you get to pick and choose parts you're not just a whole animal you get to like okay actually i have an answer for that okay okay go um i want the lower legs of a snow leopard okay and i want the wings of an eagle okay and i want hmm, what do i want for my horns I definitely want horns <laughs> i'm glad um, you said wings i was afraid you weren't gonna say oh, wings at one point and sure. i was gonna point that out but bat wings are a little eh, for me so i'm like fascinated by bats though eagle did you know that phoenix is an urban bat watching location no one of my friends knew that until i researched it and made them all go look at bats with me one night but that's amazing i didn't know that (laughs) is it terrifying to watch them um in phoenix i really wasn't that impressed but i've been to like bat caves (laughs) Like in, I think it was in like North Georgia or something when I was little. And that was like impressive and kind of terrifying because you just see like hordes of bats flying out of this cave as, you know, dust kits or whatever. Oh, no. And yeah. Did I tell you a bat flew into my apartment when I was living in Italy? No. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I got to learn the Italian name for bat because I was hanging up laundry outside and this thing flopped down to the balcony and I thought it was a bird. And so I went over to it and I was like, oh, hi, baby bird. And then it turned around and it hissed at me. And I freaked <laughs> out because I was a bat. And then it like flip-flopped into the apartment and started flying around the apartment. Like oh my goodness. top speed all around. And my roommates and I were just like shrieking. And we had no idea how to get it out. And finally, my one roommate called her dad. And he was like, between like fits of laughter he was like just turn off all the lights and leave the window open and that's what we did and finally it found its way out but it it was like flying just in huge circles all around the apartment we were just like so is this a night yeah it was a night (laughs) (laughs) it was that so that's why i don't really like bats all that much did you ever read like the silver wing series of novels Mm-mm. it was about like a young bat i don't even really remember it that well but um i think it's kind of like written for like i don't know fifth and sixth graders maybe like you know not quite young adults but i used to love them i don't even remember them that well but i just remember like being fascinated by bats and being really into that series so so do you want bat wings so you have to tell me you're a chimera now I kind of, yeah, no, I was kind of into the bat wing thing. I thought that was kind of cool. I definitely want wings of some kind, and I haven't picked a better wing in my mind. What would your lower half be, though? So I really like the idea of being somewhat (laughs) dragon-like. Ooh, like Brimstone has those dragon claws. Yeah, so maybe like the bottom, like drag, like a big tail and dragon stuff, but then I still want wings. I don't really care about the horns. I feel like I'm not... I don't need the horns. I want antelope horns, like magical. Yeah, I'm okay with This that. is actually perfect because I'm watching <laughs> Planet Earth right now, <laughs> the second one. Uh-huh. And so I like have all these animals fresh in my mind, <laughs> like what I can pick from. <laughs> we watched like the entire second 
se- second uh, season on New Year's Day because we went pretty hard New Year's Eve and we're just like, we're just going to sit around and <laughs> watch Planet Earth all day today. <laughs> That's the best thing ever. It was great. I think I went Ibex horns. Okay. Done. So someone needs to draw p- pictures of us in our chosen <laughs> camera configurations and please send them to us well i mean i do kind of identify with human dog or whatever my thing is too i could be a human dog it's hard to be well a human wolves are my favorite animal so i like love the idea of being part wolf but thiago is just like i don't want anything related to him so i'm like no 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 no, now i don't want anything wolf (laughs) oh my god i don't blame you although i don't know why if thiago is making his own body he didn't get wings wings sound like a really smart thing to have oh my gosh especially if you're fighting angels who all have wings that does seem like kind of a big lapse on his part maybe they're just like not elegant enough for him well they're definitely not human aspect because they're not yeah i guess so but madrigal has human aspect and she has wings Ooh, wouldn't it be cool if i had giraffe legs Ooh, ah (laughs) i don't know actually (laughs) that might be really weird You would just be, like, towering above everyone else. It might be hard to have a social life or, like, go oh anywhere, but... <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, What's here she comes on? again. <laughs> What's going on down there? <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe I didn't think that one through. <laughs> so did you do any other research this week? So I actually, I researched some different legends about suns and moons and creation stories. Okay. So um, this was one of the ones I liked. This was how the sun and moon came to be a myth from Norfolk, England. So in this story, there was this girl named Sun. She was young, (laughs) pretty, and kind, and her parents had died. Are you making this up as you go? (laughs) (laughs) I wish. I actually, like, really wanted to write my own myth. That's why I started researching these. I was like, what do you need to write a good myth? Um, Because I I loved that part where they just decided to write their own story. That was, like, one of my favorite parts in the in the book. Um, not my favorite scene to watch. I think I agree. I think the dancing scene would have been the best one to watch. But anyways, so Sun, um, the reason she was named this was she had like a bright orange light that she would emit. But this was back before the sun and the moon, neither one of them existed. So it was always dark and always cold. But, you know, since the sun and moon didn't exist, people were just used to it that way. And they all had warm clothes and they couldn't imagine anything different. So Sun was always helping people. And there was this old farmer who couldn't do work on his own because he had really bad rheumatism. I like how this is a fact in this legend. Um, <laughs> so it's she, a very specific legend. Yeah. So she would tend to his crops for him. Um, but this one time she was working on his farm and she heard a three-month-old baby cry. And so she just like heard this like, wah, wah, wah. And she rushed over because she, you know, was just really concerned for this child. And, you know, why is there a baby in the wilderness where all these wild animals are? So there was something kind of weird and different about this baby because this baby shone like her, except instead of shining orange, this baby shone silver. So she took the baby home to raise it as her own, as one does when they find a baby in the wilderness. And she named her Moon and taught her everything she knew. And 11 years later, so I guess Moon is 11 years old and Sun is older than that. They're both fetching water for the same rheumatism-infected farmer. (laughs) (laughs) And they come across this extremely dangerous river, and they bent down carefully to fill their buckets, 
but it was too slippery and they both fell in and drowned. And as they fell into the water, their shiny light left them and floated up into the sky and formed these two huge glowing balls. One was orange after sun and one was silver after moon. And all the villagers who had witnessed, I guess they had all gathered to watch this horrible accident (laughs) take place. To watch them drown? Yeah. (laughs) And the silver ball (laughs) faded away and the orange one was still there and it gave a lot of warmth to them. But at night, the orange ball faded and the silver ball came out, and they would alternate kind of shining day and night. And I guess before they drowned, sun and moon had had this kind of similar routine where, like, sun would help someone and then moon would help them the next time. And that's, like, what started their routine. I just thought that was, like, kind of a random detailed story, but also not one I had heard before. And who thought of this? This came from Norfolk, England. Oh, boy. A village in Norfolk, England specifically. Um, I, I I wish the two girls didn't have to drown. Well, and a lot of these, someone dies. Okay, here's another one. So this or something is, bad happens, yeah. This is a story from the Inuit people. Okay. So they're the indigenous people of like Alaska and the Arctic and Greenland. And so they have a legend that the moon god Aninigan and his sister Melina, who's the sun goddess, and they once used to live together but, you know, they're siblings, and they got into a fight one day, and Melina, the sun goddess, stormed off. But Anakin followed. And there's actually a lot of differing stories for what caused the spat, and whether or not Anakin was following to continue the fight, or to apologize, or what was going on. But he's in constant pursuit of his sister. And he's, you know, chasing after her so much that he neglects to eat, and that's why he keeps getting thinner and thinner. Oh. And so that kind of explains, like, the waning phase of the moon. Yeah. And then they say when the moon disappears, that that's when Anakin has gone away to eat, and then during his waxing period is when he, the moon's waxing period is when his search begins anew. Um, and every time he's finally able to catch Melina, that's one of the eclipses. Oh, so he only catches her very rarely. Yep, yep. Oh, I like that story. That's much better. <laughs> and then here's another funny one. So this is okay. a Native American myth. I'm not sure which tribe or whatever, but um, in this story, the sun and the moon are like a chief and his wife, and all of the stars are their children. But the sun loves to catch and eat his children. Oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> so whenever he appears in the sky, they run away and hide but the moon as one should (laughs) the mom the moon plays happily with the stars while the sun is sleeping so i guess each month when she like wanes and disappears they say she's turning her face to one side to mourn the children that the sun succeeded in catching so that's why the moon is black in this this method or this uh myth what a terrible father i know right (laughs) it makes you wonder like how they thought of this legend like they're all so <laughs> funny too. okay so here's another one so this is um this one comes from kenya in east africa and in this one the sun and moon are brothers and the moon was the older bigger brighter brother and the sun was really jealous so he picked a fight with him one day a lot of arguing siblings which i guess is mm-hmm. fit given all the siblings in this story as well Better than eating children. But so the two are wrestling, and the moon fell into the mud, and that's why his (laughs) brightness was dimmed. But God eventually made them stop fighting and kept them apart by ordering one to shine in the day and one to shine at night. So that's why they're seen at different times. Oh, so it was like God intervened. Yeah, he was like, stop squabbling. And the reason the moon is paler (laughs) than the sun is because he fell into some mud. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that explains everything. It is. It's just funny. Fun stories, and it's funny how they're also kind of so different, but also there's like certain you know consistent pieces of it too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I also, one thing I just love is that um, in so many stories, there is this idea that creation is based off of, like, creating something in your likeness, which, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's like a very Christian thing, too, to say, you know, humans are created in God's likeness. But, I mean, even in these stories, it's like the tears or the blood of one of these godlike creatures formed this kind of, you know, like, it's just kind of interesting that we, so many creation stories start from something and this, like, godlike idea of what that means and what came from it. Well, that's funny because that was actually kind of what I researched too. Because mm-hmm. I liked the idea of um, Brimstone being a resurrectionist and like creating, essentially creating life from yeah. from like teeth and gemstones. And so I was, and then I remembered in the book, really briefly, Carew talks about the um, legend of the golem to Akiva. Oh yeah, and the Aleph. So yeah. I researched that. Okay. Um, I researched the the legend of the golem, and it's actually interesting because the golem is like a creature in Jewish folklore. But one of the most famous ones is called the Golem of Prague, which I thought was cool because this book takes place in Prague. Yeah. So um, it's a, a golem is just like a human like creature that's usually created from some kind of inanimate matter. Usually it's like clay or mud. So that's kind of like how brimstone creates life from gemstones and teeth. Mm-hmm. But in the 16th century, according to this legend, um, there was a rabbi who was called Judah Loaben Bezalel. And he um, created the Golem of Prague from um, mud from the river. And he brought it to life to defend the Jewish ghetto from um, anti-Semitic attacks. So they were, the Jews at that time were being um, exiled and killed under um, the Holy Roman Emperor Rudolfo II. And so he created this golem to protect them. And he created him by writing on his forehead um, truth in Hebrew, which is emet. That's probably not how you pronounce it, but (laughs) he wrote that on its head. And then there's like some different types of uh, legends of what happened after that, but the golem was called Yosef. And uh, he... According to one legend, he fell in love with the rabbi's daughter, and then when was when he was rejected, he turned into this violent monster, and the golem just went on this like murderous rampage. And to deactivate the golem, the rabbi erased the uh, aleph e, mm-hmm. so he turned truth into death, into um, dead. Met is dead in Hebrew, and so that's how he deactivated it. So, but it's. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. So a golem that's brought to life, is it a human or is it more than a human? So it's not, it's not, or, a, it, they say okay. it doesn't have a soul because it doesn't have the power of speech. Okay. So it's just, it's almost like Frankenstein's monster. Okay. But the lesson there, I guess, is that, you know, only God can, it has the right to create life. Mm-hmm. And it's like reminiscent of God creating Adam from clay and breathing life into him. But it's also kind of like a leg- like a lesson in hubris. So, you know, you you don't have the right to create life. And also, like, once you do create life, you have no guarantee that you can control their actions. Mm-hmm. So it's... And that's also, like, you know, in the Bible when God creates Adam and Eve, then, you know, he doesn't... He can't control what they do in the Garden of Eden. And so it's like you, you can create life, but you can't control what they do. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the lesson there. So I thought that was kind of like a cool tie-in that she mentions the golem and like the most famous one is the golem of Prague. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that down because I thought that was a good story, but I never actually researched it. So I'm glad that you were able to inform me about that. Yeah, there you go. And then I also researched um, the history of wishbones a little bit. Oh, that's a good one to research. Tell me more. Have you ever wished on a wishbone? Oh yeah, all the time. I feel like 
I feel like I have because I feel like I must have, but I can't think of a time when I have. <laughs> My grandma used to always save them for us. That's awesome. And like dry them. I think at like uh, Thanksgiving we did or something. Yeah, that's like the only time you do. But um, so this is kind of interesting. So the wishbone is a fusion of two clavicle bones and they're found in birds because they're important to flight. Hmm. But wishbones are only other... The only other place that they're found is in um, the bones of dinosaurs. Huh. Which I thought was really cool because, you know, there's that theory, at least in Jurassic Park, that, like, birds evolve into dinosaurs. So, like, that's one kind of link between dinosaurs and birds is they both have this um, furcula, it's called, which is a wishbone. I'm just thinking about that uh, dinosaur bone black market trader that we <laughs> oh, <laughs> learned yeah. about last series <laughs> right he now. He probably sold a lot of <laughs> he them. He sold a lot of wishbones. <laughs> Straight from a dinosaur. So the custom of snapping a wishbone and making a wish on it comes from the Etruscans, which uh, it was an ancient Italian civilization. And so they were really obsessed with chickens, apparently. And they <laughs> believed that chickens were uh, oracles who could predict the future. And so basically, like, they turned these chickens into walking Ouija boards. And it was um, a ritual called electro electromancy. Okay. Or rooster divination. And so what they would do, and you could try this at home, they would <laughs> they'd draw a circle on the ground and they would divide it into wedges. And each wedge would represent a letter of the alphabet. And then they'd put bits of food onto each wedge. And then they'd put a chicken in the center. And then the bird would walk around eating the food and as the birds walked, scribes would note the sequence of letters <laughs> that it picked from. And then they'd use this message to um, determine the future and, like, answer very important questions. It's and then, so interesting <laughs> what people decide. Like, who looks at a chicken and is like, I think this creature knows the future. That thing looks real smart. <laughs> no one. No one has said that. <laughs> Except the Etruscans. Um, and so then once they killed that chicken, they would remove the wishbone and they'd put it in the sun to dry. And then that way people still had access to the oracle's power and they would pick it up and they would break it and make wishes on it. That was from mentalfloss.com. That is fascinating. We've heard some <laughs> weird things about chickens. Because wasn't it also chickens that like to fight the plague or something? People would like yep, tie them. Shave to, a chicken, yeah. <laughs> tie it to your groin. <laughs> He'll be safe. I'm sure it works real well. <laughs> oh man, chickens. Yeah. <laughs> and like, just it's just so funny thinking about them making like essentially a Ouija board and yeah. using a chicken. I'm but just like <laughs> I'm probably biased. So in addition to watching Planet Earth, we watched uh, what's that Hawaiian like Pixar movie that came out? Moana. Moana, yeah. We watched Moana, and you know how there's that chicken, that, like, really dumb chicken that's on the boat with her that, like, doesn't even know how to eat or whatever. Like, that's what I'm picturing, like, walking around this Ouija board and everyone being like, oh, it said R-Q-S-T. Like, what does that mean? Only the chicken knows. (laughs) But, yeah, they would, like, answer really important questions that, like, affected the entire society based off of what the chicken said. And you know what I really think must be true? Like, there must be some priest-type role that is, like... I'm not going to tell you what to do. The chicken's going to tell you what to do, and I'm just going to interpret the message. But when the message is gibberish, they're like, oh, actually, this means, and then, like, insert whatever the message they want. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just imagining it's like a power person role. Yeah, or they could just blame the chicken when everything goes wrong. Yeah, and then when it goes wrong, then you're like, well, we picked the wrong chicken. You're off the hook. (laughs) He was too hungry that day. Blame the chicken, not me. Who drew those wedges? (laughs) I kind of want to try it, though. Like, I (laughs) 
Okay. Who? Which of our listeners has a chicken we can borrow? Actually, my coworker keeps chickens. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, one was named Katniss, I remember. Can I come visit Chicago and we can ask a lot of questions? I'll see if he would be up for that. <laughs> um. <laughs> we, won't, we won't do anything with the wishbone. The chicken can just give us oh, yeah, the message and then... We're not going to do anything to the chicken. <laughs> oh, you know what? Hunter had a duck. We could have done it with Hunter's duck. Oh, man. Or do ducks carry the same ability uh, that chickens do? I mean, maybe. Uh, <laughs> oh, we could just do it with a pigeon in Chicago. Let's just do it with There's Banjo and Toby and see what happens. <laughs> oh, my God. That would just be utter chaos. It could be hilarious. I kind of <laughs> think we should try it. <laughs> It would just be them fighting over all of the food. <laughs> I would just use little tiny pieces of Skinny Pop, because that's what she really likes to eat. <laughs> Toby will eat anything and everything. I'll just put little bits of... I don't even know. He eats everything. <laughs> My table. <laughs> oh, that's right. Your laundry. He, oh, he like, ingests toys. Like, it's probably really bad, but <laughs> it, they keep coming out the other end fine, so... <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> oh, man. Well... Anyways, I think we got a little off topic. (laughs) We did. That's okay. I'm trying to think of what else um, I I circled in my book to talk about. Uh, Where did I put my Let me search through my scrolls. I think we covered just about everything. Oh, okay. Well, one last, well, not last thing, but one other thing. So we talked a little bit about siblings on Madrigal's side, but what do you think about seen Laraz and Hazel. Yeah. What do you think about them and their relationship and kind of the betrayal that happened there? Any thoughts? Yeah, I, I feel really, I feel bad for all of them because it's like everyone loses because he basically picked the enemy over them and they fought together. It seems like they fought together so closely and now, you know, they lost their brother and it's just kind of like they were just raised so cruelly Mm -hmm. and so specifically to hate Chimera so much. And so it's like, I kind of get why Laraz reacted the way she did when she sees Carew's um, hands and immediately tries to kill her because that's just like what she's been trained to do. And and, like, I get both sides of it. Like, it's like Romeo and Juliet or, you know, it's like... This really is, yeah, like a Romeo and Juliet type story so far. But I'm just, I'm so mad because what have we learned in every young adult series we've read? If you keep secrets from people... It ends badly. I'm like, maybe if you had trusted your brother and sister, even if you didn't tell them the whole... But, like, so, like before, right now... I think he tried to, Do though. you? I kind of yeah. feel like he kept it to himself. Maybe he, like... Oh, before it. he didn't tell them, yeah. But he tried to tell them when they saw Karu, like, hey, I met a chimera and I fell in love with her. Well, yeah. Okay, so he told them now, but, like, that's kind of, like, a, too little, too late, a little bit. Like, I don't blame them for trying... Like, I, again, to your point, how they've been raised, not having any of the backstory... And it does sound like once he told them that, they did leave him alone. He's not sure what they're going to do, but they stopped pursuing her, right? Or did they keep yeah. fighting after that? I'm trying to remember when that came um, in the fight. I don't remember, but I know they. I know Laraz was trying to go after Karu to find her and kill her. Yeah. And then Hazel was just kind of caught in between them because he just didn't like to see his siblings fighting. Hazel seems kind of fun, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't want him to be trying to kill me, but... Uh... I do like that he's kind of more lighthearted and whatever. He's not as ferocious as Laraz, for sure. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I just... It has to... And it has to be so hard to go against your family. Because even Carew says if she was put in the same situation, she would have chosen Brimstone. 
You know, she was like, there's no way I could go against the people who raised me. Well, we both have siblings. Like, I can't even imagine. Oh, no. No way. Like, how do you go from, I don't know. It's, it's intense. There's a lot of, there's a lot at play right now. And I'm sure, and I feel like when you have reactions like that, like Laraz did, that's so severe, it's, it's not really, I think at the heart of it, it's, it's because she cares about him and she knows that like this is treason. Yeah. I think she's trying to do the right thing for him. Yeah, exactly. Protect him from himself kind of thing. And she's not wrong. I mean, we saw what happened on the flip side when they got caught together. Right. Exactly. And like, And in that situation, I don't know if, I don't think, I think that Laraz and Hazel are better siblings than Kiro, because I yeah. think Kiro just was envious and wanted to kind of break Karu down, like bring her down a notch, because mm-hmm. um, she was so jealous. Yeah, she's selfish. Yeah. Yeah. And even at the end, we see, you know, when Brimstone, I love the scene when Brimstone visits Madrigal in prison before she's about to be executed, and he's like, your sister's soul is weak. And it can mm-hmm. be pushed aside. And he basically tells her how she can preserve her soul by, mm-hmm. like, going into the body of her sister. Yeah. I wonder what her sister thought when she came back fully. <laughs> like, if she know, put it together, she was just like, whoa, I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, what happened there? <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I just love that scene when he's like, your dream is my dream and I'm not ashamed of you for loving, for loving the angel. I know. I was so proud. Because, you know... The little bit we've heard, he's he was so kind of tough on her as a human growing up, and just some of the other things we heard, You, it wasn't clear that he believed in kind of the same view of a future world that wasn't just war and fighting and killing and all of this stuff. Right. But it's also just like so crazy to think it's their whole lives. Like, it's not like this war has been going on for a little bit. Like, it's been generations of... Mm-hmm. That's all they know. And yeah, it's just kind of crazy. And and yeah, he was like, this is the only way to stop this war. Mm -hmm. Something has to give. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. And you know, like, I think of all the books we've read so far, I think, you know, we've said our other series we've read have been wonderful. But there's a beauty to the writing of this book that I think was missing in a lot of our other series. I agree. And even just like... The way the book is written, the words themselves, it is be- it is absolutely beautiful. And it's so nice to finally get a book where there's really interesting characters, there's an extremely fast-paced plot, but it's beautiful to read. Yeah. And, like, that combination is, I think, so rare to find in a book. Usually it's, like, either a great plot, but, like, you know, the writing's just okay. But to have it all combined, it really makes such a difference. And it's noticeable. Like, she is, I think she's the best writer that we've come across so far, I would say. Well, and then that's where it gets interesting when, again, one of the interviews I was reading about her writing style and how she do, she really, while writing, she doesn't, like, write the whole book and then go back and edit. Like, while mm-hmm. she's writing, she does so much editing and rewriting and trying to get the words just right. And I think it does to your point, it shows. Yeah, and it's just poetic. And, like, some of the things that she says, um, like, Akiva, when he when she's about to get executed, and she's like, it was a scream to raise ghosts from their graves or something like that. And it, I don't know, just, like, the metaphors she uses are just, like, really striking. And I, I'm really into it. Well, and even the way, like, we have all this really, really serious stuff going on, all this world building going on. You do have this, like, really, you know, powerful love connection being described. And you still have this kind of lighthearted, humorous side, too. Like, Zuzanna is still one of my favorite characters, and she didn't have as much of a role in the second half. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, even her calling and, you know, 
getting left the loft or whatever and her being like, you didn't leave me any food. Or just like some of these like funny, like I just, even these like secondary characters are like really well thought out and Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. It's, it's beautiful. I can't wait to read more. Should we talk about the second book? Yes. Okay. So good news. The series is to be continued with book two. It's called Days of Blood and Starlight. And we are going to read up to chapter 48, which is called Fascinating Guest. And it's also um, a nice break because um, it's uh, a separate part where... One of those feather sentences. Yeah, yeah, it says, once upon a time, a girl lived in a sandcastle making monsters descend through a hole in the sky. So that's where we're going to end for next week. Yep. And I can read the back of the book, too, if you want. Yep, please do. Okay. Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love and dared to imagine a world free of bloodshed and war. This is not that world. (laughs) In this stunning sequel to the highly acclaimed Daughter of Smoke and Bone, Karu must decide how far she'll go to avenge her people. Filled with secrets and impossible choices, Days of Blood and Starlight finds Karu and Akiva on opposing sides as an age-old war stirs back to life. Awesome! I can't wait. To and I do. Reading. I love those like feather sentences going back to her. I know, just like really so powerful words. Yeah. <sighs> cool. Yeah, we had. Didn't we have? I'm trying to find another one. <laughs> we had a like, few this time. I know. They're just so beautiful. Oh, and I love how the moon, um, the smaller moon, is like the patron of secret lovers and assassins. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, one of them was once upon a time an angel lay dying in the mist and a devil knelt over him and smiled. Oh. And going into that chapter, you had no idea like what that was about and it kind of could have been multiple things. But that's And they're just so be- like that flashbacks. just gave me chills when you read that. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Well, do you have a joke for me this week? I do. Right. Okay. So, when we post this episode, it will be my birthday. Happy birthday! Thank you. So, I have a birthday themed joke for you. Perfect. And I'm already laughing. Okay. <laughs> Why? Oh, no. did... It's not even very good. <laughs> Why did the boy get soap for his birthday? Oh, I don't know. Because he was bad. It was a. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was a soap prize party. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, oh, that was like our biggest groaner yet. It was it was super bad. Well, this That's is great. this is my second best one. Can I tell you my second best birthday joke? Sure. Wait, it's it's the second. It's it's worse than that that one. <laughs> well, it's just that one. Just actually, like I couldn't say it with a straight face. Which I okay. Love. Tell me this one. Why are birthdays good for you? I don't know. Because people who have the most live the longest. <laughs> it's silly. Yes, logically, that's true. <laughs> that appeals to me and my rational brain. <laughs> and also, oh, my I love, I love to celebrate my birthday brain. Well, happy birthday, Katie. Thank you. I should send you the gift that um, our super fan Meredith gave you for Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still Thanks, Meredith. <laughs> Awesome. I'll send you something for your birthday, too. <laughs> no, you don't have to. I just wanted to <laughs> mention it. I was trying to think of something to talk about. Anyways. Cool. Anyways, thank you, everyone, for listening. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. I'll spell it out. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. And if you like what you hear, it would really help us if you would give us a rating or write a review on iTunes because that helps how how we're seen. (laughs) 
Does that make sense? It helps us reach more people, basically, right? It helps us reach more people. Yeah. It yeah. just increases our visibility. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, that, yeah, that would mean a lot to us if you could, could do that. And again, obviously, we need help with our dad jokes, so send us some of those. Or yeah. <laughs> We're running out of dad jokes. Future book <laughs> suggestions. <laughs> yes, that's, that would be excellent. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.